0: Hello and welcome to PodRocket, the podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it for free at LogRocket.com. Today is an exciting day because we get the co-author of Next.js and the Next.js lead maintainer at Vercel, and also my friend, Tim Nertkins. Tim, it's a privilege. It's an honor to have you on the show. I'm excited to talk to you about all things Next.js, specifically 13.4 that was just launched at Vercel ship. But before we get into
1: it, why don't we start with an intro to yourself? So like a quick introduction about myself. Been at ForSell for five years now, I'm working mostly on Next.js. Before that, I was a core contributor for about a year. So that was like right around the time that I was first launched. Um, I've been like in the like ForSell community for quite some time. And then eventually, like I ended up working on Basically my hobby project, which is Next.js. So I've been working on e-commerce websites for an agency before that. And now I've been mostly working on Next.js for the five years. And
0: before you joined Resil, so when it was just a hobby project, you also used it. Do you count yourself as a co-author of Next.js or did you join after it was like initially written?
1: I joined maintaining the project slightly after it was launched. But at some point, Kisharma basically reached out and said like, hey, we're going to add you to the, the list of authors of the project because you did so many contributions in the few months right after it was launched. So, and so I, I got that title, um, didn't end up asking for it. I would have not minded if that wasn't the case, but it was a nice recognition for the amount of work I was putting in because I wasn't using it for my day job. I was just contributing to the project because I found it very interesting to recall.
0: I also find it very interesting to work with. It's my go-to for React. And in fact, I feel like that's the prevalent advice, right? Like if you're starting a React app, it's probably best to start with Next.js or some framework. But for the sake of brevity, we'll say Next.js. Next.js recently had a big release and it was a really nice blog post to read. I'm talking about 13.4, where app router is stable. I want to talk to you about this. And I'm specifically interested in this, like, in how Next.js has been able to stay true to its core values or core design principles. So I was reading the original blog post that introduced Next.js to the world, not 13.4, but like 1.0 like many years ago. Yeah. And there were those principles, right? There was zero setup, use the file system as an API. There was only JavaScript, everything as a function, etc. I'm curious if you could speak to those principles and then how Next.js adheres to them and the process behind that today.
1: It all started with a README. So there was like a README that Guillermo wrote. And that one was basically the blueprint for like, this is what the things like that he wanted to solve with this framework. So the framework originally wasn't even called Next.js; it was called N4. It was like a handlebars-ish, like special templating language with the other, like the file system routing and, and all that. And they were using that to build the Vercel website. So this was really like not meant to be open sourced from the start or whatever. It really started out as we're building this thing in order to ship faster for, for sales own properties. So then at some point they basically made this big shift of being like, Hey, we're going to use react instead, which wasn't a, like a super clear bet at the time, like end of 2016 ish. React has gotten popular, but it wasn't like as popular as it is today. And basically they needed like a component model to, to go with that. So it's really like the core principles was like, we're doing file system-based routing. Uh, so this means like you create a file in your pages directory, any file really, like you you call it like pages about.js and that's a route. You can now start coding. In a way that's really similar to PHP, you'll often hear people joke around, oh, like Next.js is becoming PHP or Rails or whatever. But like, there's a reason for that. And that's like also because... A lot of the folks that worked on Next.js have been active in a PHP community at some time, have worked on like WordPress or other frameworks. And a lot of the ideas that like started in other languages or frameworks or all that made its way into mainstream usage, but changed over time or like wasn't as easy or things like that. So you start with file system routing as the way to just create a file and start working on your specific route. And this... File System Router, in the end, turned out to be a really big bet on other optimizations we could do, right? So like one of the things that Nexus can do is split your JavaScript bundles by the individual files that you're creating in your pages directory. And that was a big step at the time because what we were doing back then is Webpack, uh, let's just bundle everything into a single JavaScript file and have the have code splitting, but like code splitting couldn't really do anything because in the end you were initializing all the code because like get our side effects in JavaScript and all that. And what we did instead is every page becomes its own JavaScript bundle. And then from there, we take it to more granularity, like introducing dynamic imports and stuff like that.
0: And I do want to stay true to also the spirit of giving listeners actionable things they can do based on the Next.js story and with Next.js. Part of that, you mentioned, it started with a readme. And I love that because a lot of us just start hacking immediately, especially in the age of like Create React App or even Create Next App. You get a readme and then you start building something. So I love this idea of no, 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 you start by writing it down and then you implement. And I do feel, I don't know if you'd agree that this is a principle that will influence a lot of people's engineering for the better. I'm curious, you mentioned this routing and how it led to the innovation of route-based code splitting. Around 2016, when N4 was a thing, when n4 existed i'm curious where react router was it not introduced yet was it new and i'm not trying to draw any like controversial lines or anything i'm just curious about the state of the ecosystem at the time
1: i'm not sure to be honest it did exist i was using it for a project at work at the time so i do know that like we used it there i'm not sure which version it was it could be as an earlier version or something like that but this shift of you're not defining your routes in a, a component, for example, was some of the main shifts that Next.js introduced to the ecosystem.
0: Was N4 like a acronym for something,
1: or like? <laughs> I, I I would have to check. It was. Probably something like that. But in the end, it just turned into next.
0: And as I said earlier, I love seeing how using the file system as an API is still true, even with this big shift, right? From pages to app, you still, instead of the file itself being the route, it's now page.tsx or jsx, but the directory is still the identifier of the route as it were, the subpath. The second design principle is only JavaScript and everything is a function. And indeed, we also see that everything is still a function except maybe metadata, which is an object, and also some config stuff. But in spirit, everything's a component. Yeah, I love how all of this is the same, but has gotten better. Next.js 13.4 introduces some new features. I think the most popular feature, the most discussed, the most controversial, and sometimes the most misunderstood feature is the use of React server components. I've heard a lot of people honestly divided on these. Some... Love it because, oh, that's fantastic. That means everything's getting smaller. We're shipping less code because a lot of the computation is done on the server and we only ship minimal rendered components over the network. Also, it improves the data fetching story. You can have async components that execute only on the server. But I've also heard a ton of criticism where people say, oh my God, this really conflates my mental model because now I have to think about which component is which and also context. A lot of people complain about server context, client context, et cetera. I'm curious if you could speak to that. And also... If we could give people like a sentence or two that kind of summarizes the best way to make use of these primitive.
1: yeah, that makes sense. For a moment, uh, when we started talking, I was like, maybe he's going to mention that layouts is the biggest thing, but like, there, there's like many other benefits to AppReader that is solving some of the like. So the thing is like in the Next.js community, like server components wasn't really a thing that people asked for a lot per se. It was mostly layouts, streaming. Suspense boundaries, not waiting on get service side props to get results and things like that. So it's really like there's these very large amount of issues and feature requests that are now solved by changing the underlying architecture of Next.js. That's been our main goal with this. It's like solving the actual problems that people have a lot in Next.js apps today. So one of these is this layouts thing, if you create, like, we could have added layouts into pages, but it would have been less ideal than what you get today. The server components part is basically taking this years of Next.js having server side uh, integration. So, um, a good example here is you had get server side props, get static props, get static pods, and all these Next.js specific APIs. And these kind of influenced the uh, React team in a way where. They were like, yeah, this server-side thing, like we kind of proved that works, but in the end, it's not the best DX or like not the best way to compose your components. It's not a way to compose your components, right? Like you're doing it separately from your component tree. What if we move all of this data fetching logic and rendering logic that is not needed on in the browser per se, so structural things in her page for example, and move all that rendering to the server and solve many other problems in the current ecosystem around react one of them is uh we're shipping a lot of javascript to the browser everyone will say react is quite big but if you start looking into real apps it's like react is quite big but then it's still only 10 percent of your whole app or something like that and with server components we're basically shifting this back to react is quite big still (laughs) unfortunately we have some plans to get to a point where that's better but that takes a lot of effort and time to develop a smaller bundle size, basically. But now we don't have this client-side code bit that you are introducing yourself. If I write an access app, I'm going to pull in all these libraries, stuff to format my currency or do internationalization or do data fetching or all these libraries that you're using. Because a few years ago, NPM published that like 90% or so of your code is actually not your code, but someone else's code you pull in through NPM. And in practice, that's like pulling in all these libraries to then do all this functionality for you, but you're also shipping it to the browser. And like with server components, you're shifting that away to the server, which has this bundle obviously, but then it has other benefits as well. Like it's closer to your database or it has lower latency to your database or your uh, APIs. And this allows you to do data fetching in your components. Because then if your database queries are less than a few milliseconds, then you can just keep rendering components, do the data fetching there, and get the result out, send the result to the browser, which is what Server Components does, and then hydrate that without the actual need for all the, the static bits in that. When I say static, it's like the divs, the header, stuff like that. You can still have dynamic pieces where you get client components, which is the... Like if you're used to React before Server Components, that's basically like any component. Yeah, it's really exciting to see like where... People will take this because it allows you for way more granularity in like, what you're sending to the browser. But also, it now allows you to decide between, like, I want to render this component or this other component. And it could be separate bundles, for example. You get way more granular code splitting by default as well.
0: Yeah, that does sound really powerful. Especially this idea that because of server components being a new primitive, it unlocks and unblocks a whole class of issues. For example, layouts streaming, data fetching, etc. That said, the primitive of server components itself is something that I think people are still very interested in. And I do have some more questions, but we need to pause a bit for a little word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket offers session replay, issue tracking, product analytics to help you quickly surface and solve impactful issues affecting your user experience. With LogRocket, you can find and solve issues faster, improve conversion and adoption, spend more time building a better product. So I would encourage everyone to check out Blog Rocket if you're enjoying this conversation. To come back to server components. Because React has before Next.js and other frameworks, React has been predominantly focused on client-side apps, right? We we've seen so many SPAs, single page applications built with React. I've got many in production and server components is a massive shift to that. I'm curious if this came about if the React the people who work on React, the React core team have been a part of some type of conversation that led to did what i'm trying to say is next.js in my mind popularized this idea that react works better with a server for multiple reasons route-based code splitting is one i'm curious how the react team decided let's look at server components and i'm curious if the next.js team had some type of say into that
1: so like contrary to some people's belief we didn't tell the react team hey here's like we're going to do everything we can to get this server components thing that we have invented uh, in there or something like that. That's really like not how it went. It was more like Sebastian on the React team was working on these problems for the new facebook.com what problem specifically so basically the the context here is new facebook.com is a react app it's previously what you had is when react was first created they were using it for facebook.com but it was all these tiny bits of the page so you would have like one instance of react but it was rendering components all over your page the rest of it was rendered by by hack by php type thing that, that meta built and then at some point I don't have the full backstory here, so this is just my recollection of what I've been told, basically, over time. At some point, they were like, we're going to rebuild all of Facebook.com, but using React as the core principle of, like, we're basically going to build, like, a framework, because they don't use Next.js or any other framework in the from the open source ecosystem. Now, they started from scratch, and they built a framework that can handle the scale that Facebook has, all this, like, rendering pipeline take all the learnings from what they did for this other framework and like how that that worked before and integrate it with Relay as a data layer. Relay was super um, important for this whole story, right? Like data fetching. So all of this comes down to data fetching in the end, like writing data fetching. (laughs) These are like the two things that that you always see come back in, in this React app world or any app. So the thing is that Relay is actually really good. They optimized it for for this massive use case of larger pages, all that. And they got to a point where like you get a lot of benefits from using relay. You get code splitting based on data, for example. It might sound familiar because like that's what I brought up with like server components can code split based on uh, data. So you can render a different component based on your data. Really allowed you to do that as well. Right. You could write a query and then get a component back from that. I think that's called entry points, if I'm not mistaken. And those were like really interesting ideas that they proved out and shipped to to facebook.com and then like Seb has been working on this for five plus years with like a larger vision of this is what the react apps uh in like modern react apps will look like and a lot of this is like people joke about the suspense for getting the getting the suspense feature but there is a lot of other underlying things that we're unlocked by having suspense, by having transitions, by having what they call concurrent features. And a lot of the burden of concurrent features is actually on the framework that you give developers. So in order to get to a point where you can fully take advantage of all these innovations that reacted through like proving out it for facebook.com, you need a framework in order to achieve that level of integration and build in like writing features basically. So you need a router that is aware of your backend in a way, aware of your server components, for example, or your relay or something like that. And you need the data fetching to be aware of how the routing structure works as well, in order to make it performant and only do the most minimal amount of work when you're navigating, for example. So all of this turned into this RFC for server components. Can we bring? uh, And don't quote me on this because like it's it's not exactly uh, the way that I feel about this thing is like, can we bring the benefits that it really gives you to the broader React ecosystem without having to tell everyone like, go use GraphQL. This is the thing now you're uh, forced to use this data layer, this database, for example, or this particular API or this particular way of doing things. And that's like where our server components came from. You get basically our data, you can render different components that are also interactive and you get this more granular code splitting. The thing that's missing from server components is this thing that frameworks have to integrate. And that's where Next.js comes in, basically. So we talked a lot with the Brother React team and and Seb in particular. We had this vision of, this is where we want to go. They built that at the meta at some point, right? Like they built a router that is like aware of data and all that, but that's not going into the ecosystem overall. Cause like, this is like a very particular, like tailored case for their particular needs. And we were like, yeah, we we're kind of stuck in Next.js pages land, right? We can do innovations. We can make this better still. We can add layouts. We can do all these things. But the bottom line of that is you're going to ship more and more JavaScript. You're going to get stuck at this single level data fetching. So like only in the page, you can do data fetching. And overall, what you see is that the overall ecosystem is becoming more and more dynamic and components become smarter and smarter, basically, right? You get components that can do more and more functionality, use SWR or use query, for example, from React query, but those are only for client side, right? Like you can only do them in the browser. Whereas what we were seeing is that there is a performance benefit overall, if you get this low latency connection to your database, for example, and even like you can't do database queries in your browser, right? So you still can't do this thing where. I don't know, like the next WordPress wouldn't be built on, on Next.js pages directory, right? Like you, you would have to do all your data fetching for the whole page in that single place. So that's like where we were coming from our side. It was like, it's going great. Nexus is growing. It wasn't like a thing of, oh, we need to do this new thing in order to keep growing the framework or, or growing usage. It's more like we ran into all these limitations to the model that we had. And we saw the server components as this way to get to the next level of granularity for data fetching, solving these, this JavaScript loading problem and giving you a better router, which is also a big part of this. So it's not just layouts. It's also you get a completely brand new router that is aware of transitions, aware of React Suspend. It integrates with transitions in that way. So a lot of this is actually like we were able to delete probably like 50-ish percent of all the code that we had in the Nexus router, and just offload that to your React server components and the integration with React. These are things like injecting script tags into your like head in order to wait for that script tag to load to then render the components. This is now all part of the server components protocol. And there's other things that React can now do that we've helped build out in order to make the case that for you, like building a React app on Next.js better. So like something that Josh and our team has been working on uh, together with React team is basically like a thing that they call Float. You might have heard things like Float, Forget, Flight. These are the names that the React team gives to projects. And Float is particularly about injecting tags into the head. So you can think about it as I render a link tag in a component, but I don't want my link tag to be in the body per se. So React is aware of that link tag, and it will just add it into the head and remove it at the right time as well. This is really important because like, there's a problem that you get into when you get into Frameworks land, which is what if we have this convention to do global CSS, right? Import some CSS file. Now you get a CSS file out, but how do you make sure that that CSS file is loaded before React starts rendering so that you don't get this flash of unsold content, for example? And these are like lower level bits that we've contributed back into React as well in order to make overall integration with server components better as well.
0: There's a, I think a mutual friend of ours, Swizek Teller, who leads a workshop about thinking like a senior engineer. And I think is some real, I would say, senior plus engineer thinking, right? Because the problems you were trying to solve with Next.js, problems of, nested routes and layouts, problems of data fetching, even suspense and streaming, and SEO. All of these problems could be solved without server components, but they would still be incomplete solutions, right? Because you would increase the amount of JavaScript you're shipping and it's diminishing returns. Like you get some features, but you also have bigger costs and it's not ideal. So somewhere along the line, it sounds like the Next.js team was like, you know what? Server components would solve all of these problems and more. And that thinking and decision-making is, I think, exemplary.
1: I've been keeping a list while we were building this of every time I got pinged on an issue saying, this thing is broken in, in the Pages directory, right? This thing is broken for me in this particular edge case. I'm like, great, uh, this is solved with the new app writer built-in things. This doesn't mean like next bugs are not solved in pages. For example, it's more like this is a fundamental thing that's unsolvable in pages without a massive rework of how everything works. And that change would also mean it breaks your app still, right? Like you would have to upgrade and deal with breaking changes. So that's one of the things that we haven't really talked about is like, it's totally fine if you're currently using Pages and you don't even want to use App AppRiter per se, or like want to wait with adopting it or things like that, because Pages is still there. We didn't deprecate it and it's still there. Like we just feel that the App Writer is the future of what Nexus will do. And the main thing there is also that it's not super hard to migrate depending on what your app is doing you can start with moving a single page to app writer just add use client and at that point it becomes like a component that was similar to what you got in the page directory
0: i'm sure you've thought about when pages will lose support or if there's some type of plan long term, maybe many years away or something to like sunset pages in favor of
1: app directory we haven't announced this particular date of like, we're going to cut it off at this point. We're still going to discuss that further at a later point. But right now, there's not a massive maintenance burden on keeping pages. The only thing here is that for newer features, we will make sure that it works in app router and probably like pages will not get it. It depends on like what we're doing, right? If we're building a feature that is particularly needs to work in Transitions or use suspense or do data fetching or things like that. There is no way to port that back to support it in, in the app writer. Um, there are other cases where we do, right? Like we, we introduced uh, in 13.4 a new thing called draft mode. It's like a, a new take on what preview mode was before. And draft mode works in pages and in app. But even like the new writer. So like if you use writer from next navigation, you can actually use that in pages so that it helps you like migrate. Essentially like the app use writer is a smaller subset of what you would previously have as options and all that in the pages writer. I'm
0: curious, you mentioned transitions. I'm assuming you mean route transitions. So like when you go from one page to another and how the support for layouts only changes a subset of the page based on route transitions. And this is of course, something that isn't supported with pages.
1: Yeah, the important thing here is that when I say transitions, I mean react transitions, and that doesn't mean navigations per se. Navigations, is is one thing that uses transitions under the hood. So if you've seen use transition in react, it's basically a hook that allows you to observe when a transition is happening. So it allows you to start transition and it allows you to see the ispending of that. So transitions, like you basically allows you to render in the background in a way. So it will render till the point where the first suspense boundary is hit. Or if there's no suspense boundary hit, it will just render all the way till the end. And then at that point, commit the update. Right. So what this allows you to do is basically render a complete React component tree in the background while you're still seeing all the other things on the page. And you can still interact with them as well. And this is why it's called concurrent because you can concurrently have different realities in a way. Yeah. You have one render of the app, but in the background, it could be that there's three other renders of the app happening at the same time. And those three other renders are also kept track of in which order they happened. So usually you have this race condition, right? You click on another link, you click on another link, and then the first one comes back, you see that page for 10 milliseconds. And then you see it flash to the other and then flash to the other, or you see it cancel in between, which is also not ideal in some cases. And this is the thing that transition solves where. It can do this discarding of previous transitions or a previous state, but it's not really about navigations per se. It's also about other interactions that you're doing set state or things that could be wrapped in the transition and you can observe these changes while data is loading or while code is loading or things like that.
0: So use transition returns is pending and start transition. And when you call start transition, you effectively start rendering in an alternate reality. Yeah, basically that, yeah. Is that cancelable, a running transition?
1: So you can't cancel them. That's the thing here. You would just have it render in the background and that's fine. You trigger another transition and then that final transition is the one that you'll see on screen in the end.
0: I have a question about the new app router because with get server-side props or get static props in pages, when you fetch your data and then return them as props to your component, Next, we'll embed them in the markup, right? So you have these tags at the bottom with JSON responses. Yeah. With app directory, is that still a thing?
1: So it it depends. Like there still is some data in the, at the end of the, the HTML, basically the way that I've been explaining it, and it's not exactly like this, but like you basically end up rendering server components. That's one pass. So it's rendering a react component tree. The main thing there is that every single client component is a reference to the client component not actually the component so it ends up not rendering those it will keep those references and then you do another pass which is like render to html and render to html would be basically we're rendering the the output of the react server components tree so it's an intermediate state in a way it's basically like a an output that kind of resembles jsx but not exactly and it will use that to create that actual like HTML nodes. So this means that in the second render, that's where client components are rendered. And that's where server components are not rendered. Like they, they would just take output from the server component that was already rendered. Now the thing there is that then in order to hydrate in the browser, which is what the underscore underscore next data included all the props. What we now do is we include the RSC rendered payload, like the RSC payload is what we call it. So that JSX resembled thing that has the references to client components. And then we use that to hydrate in the browser as well. And that means that the server components are, those are still that rendered output. The client components will become interactive at that point because they will be hydrated based on these references. So it will load the code for it as well. And that's why I was saying Nexus no longer needs to do code loading because React has a code loading primitive here.
0: And then... The server components those also hydrate though or do they just stay static throughout the lifecycle of the application
1: the react in the browser is not aware of server components even existing wow. it's only aware of the output of the server component and that's a static thing that doesn't have that's why you can't have event listeners or state or whatever because then we have to ship the javascript to the browser which would be a client component
0: that makes a lot of sense because React then works with, so React elements and these special server component output type elements.
1: Those are converted back into React elements, basically. Ah. It's like a serialization protocol of React elements from the server to the browser. And then this is why different from, from just like re-rendering everything on the server and then like passing it back to the browser when you're navigating, for example. What we do instead is we fetch the RSC payloads and then use that to render in the browser. Right. Which is why we don't have to do HTML rendering or anything like that on the server for a client-side navigations. It's also why you can preserve state between these server components re renders as well. Because what you get back is you get this static payload. And if all the keys just match up, basically React will consider them exactly the same as what it was before. So it's almost like a state update where nothing changes, right?
0: This is also probably why I've been talking about server components a lot with a bunch of people, including the React team. And I keep hearing that it's a bundler that would tie server components and client components together. It's almost like you have two separate dependency graphs. These are my server components and these are my client components. And what you just said alludes to that, right? Because the browser has no idea what a server component even is. It just gets this special format and then uses it in reconciliation. We have just a few minutes left. I wanted to address some questions that people asked on Twitter. I did tweet about this. Thank you for retweeting it. And there's a lot of people with questions. I want to particularly highlight Roy Dirks, my good friend at GetHacked team on Twitter. He says he's curious about how collaborations with other libraries and tech works. So there's no secret that the Next.js team does heavy collaboration with the React team, but also does work with Chrome Web Vitals, for example. And Roy asks quite broadly, how does that collaboration work? What does that look like? What input do you have, and vice versa?
1: Yeah, good question. So one of the things to, to mention here is React is basically since last year when Sebastian joined Marcel and someone else joined our team as well, uh, Josh, who I mentioned before, who was basically, we hired him to work on React as well as a contributor. Basically, like since then, React has become a multi-company collaboration. Actually, that's giving us too much credit, to be honest. Like there are other people on the React team that left meta and kept contributing, which is uh, pretty awesome to see as well. So that's like Brian, uh, who works at Replay now. And Sophie, I'm not sure where she's working now, but they kept contributing and kept providing input on all the features, RFCs and all that. And then like, Sebastian joined for And One of the things here is that Sebastian had this vision of, this is where we want to take React and server components. I believed in that vision and so did a lot of other folks at sale and that's why we started collaborating there and working on it. In the end, I looked back right after the release and it turned out that we spent exactly a year on working on this, just on Next.js features and all that. Obviously, scope increased over time. Like in the end, like we created Next.js as we want it to be for the next five to 10 years, instead of building out like individual features for pages that didn't fit together. Doesn't answer a question completely. So like the the collaboration, um, we talk to them regularly. Obviously, like we you now have like React contributors on on the Truffle side as well. Like overall, like uh, it's it's been really good to see the collaboration here. Because in the end, what we end up doing, and like from our side, it's not like we're implementing this thing that Next.js will use, and like we we need to add this like special Snowflake thing that only Next.js can use, or anything like that. It's more like we have these general problems that all frameworks are run into with server components and with integrating uh, with React itself, React Float, for example, where we need to solve these in order to make the, the broader ecosystem work, right? Like where link Tags work and, and all that. So we collaborate uh, with them quite heavily, but that's also because we wanted to make the server components. The goal of making server components a reality was there from the start. Then for the Chrome team, it's a bit different. So they have a team called Aurora Team, which is a team within the Chrome organization. Like Historically, Chrome has been, what they said themselves is like, we haven't been collaborating with the overall ecosystem enough. So they basically had this problem where they would ship features. It's this classic, we built this thing, and now everyone has to adopt it. But how do we get this adoption when... You might not know about this uh, new feature, right? Like high priority images, for example, or images with the loading attribute and things like that, that the features by themselves have a massive impact on the overall like health of the web. But in order to get them to be this impactful, you need to have this collaboration with frameworks and not just next.js to get to a point where you get large adoption. So what they saw is Nexus apps are used by some of the largest sites in terms of traffic. And because of that, if they make a change to Next.js, for example, improve the bundling, it can have a larger impact on the overall web as a whole. And similarly, they're working with the Angular team. It's not just because they're part of Google or anything like that. It's because they like Angular itself has a, a large user base as well. The Nux team, we've been doing awesome as well. And this collaboration is like... We meet regularly. They're not like we implemented this feature, like, hey, please use it. It's more like uh, we're planning to do this thing. Like, what do you think about it? We'd like your feedback on, for example, like something that they just announced is baseline. Like, I don't know if you heard of that, but it's basically a way to say, this is the set of browsers that if you support them, you should be fine. And this is like big problem overall in the web, right? My boss tells me to use IE9. <laughs> I saw an issue earlier this week of someone saying can you please add support for ie9 to app um react doesn't support that obviously and all that because i need to ship this don't ask me why <laughs> and wow the thing with baseline is it's basically like a collaboration between all the browser vendors to say this is the critical mass of the browsers where if the feature is part of baseline, it's now introduced in the, uh, MDN docs as well. Like It will say, okay, you can now use this because it's implemented in enough browsers or like enough versions of browsers to get to a point where like, for example, async await can be used. That's a bad example because that's been around for a while, but like some of the newer features, right? You're always struggling to be like, when do I need to load the polyfill? Yeah. And this is where this baseline initiative is, is uh, really interesting. Yeah. And then like, how does this interplay with Nexus, for example, it's like Nexus would have to implement this baseline support to, to basically have a, a default browsers list, for example, that has like baseline as the browsers, for example. And that's like part of the collaboration. Another thing is they spend a lot of time on like script loading images, things that sound simple and they're in practice are really not like they end up messing up like your core web vitals and all that. And that's where they, they collaborate the most.
0: Yeah, so something like this differ attribute on images or something like this. Or what was it like, loading equals lazy?
1: Yeah, it's like loading lazy is, a, is an example. But there's another problem here, which is like loading lazy on everything is bad. <laughs> like your LCP will be wrong, will be uh, slower as well. So this is where it is, where frameworks can make a difference, basically.
0: One final question uh, for you, and that is a very broad question, but I'm curious because you're probably knee deep in this stuff. What are you interested in, excited about these days in the ecosystem or even with Next.js?
1: Obviously, I'm going to say AppRider, (laughs) but uh, the thing here is that, like I said, we've been working on this for over a year now. And one of the main things here is that it unlocks a lot of things in the ecosystem. So, like, what I'm excited about is it's not what we are going to do with it, it's what you are going to do with it. Maybe, like, the company you work for or someone else in the ecosystem is like, I'm going to build a data layer that is compatible with server components and, like, that allows you to fetch data in any component that's already possible, but, like, has the caching heuristics, like has the the duping built in, has like support for server actions, which we didn't even talk about. But the things I'm excited about is like seeing what people will do with this now that you have better primitives. I saw a tweet from someone that was like, I created a server component that's basically like MySQL admin, but with Prisma, where you can create like, it's a server component you give a Prisma instance, and it will visualize your whole database tables. Um, I can't remember who it was exactly uh, and probably wouldn't be able to find it, but this is the thing that I'm excited about is people taking these uh, new component primitives and building better components or better hooks or better data fetching integrations.
0: I'm also very excited about that. And it's a, it's a real shame we didn't get to address server actions. Truth be told, I could honestly hang out with you for ninety minutes to two hours talking about yeah. <laughs> We are on a schedule. Thank you, Tim. I think we'll leave it here. Appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the Pod Rocket Podcast.
1: Thank you.